Gorgeous day. You should be thankful right now. Amen? It is a gorgeous day, beautiful day. Um, I'd like to have a word of prayer for a couple of our church members. Continue to pray for Marge. Some of you uh, got the reminder on, on our prayer list, but uh, Marge had to go back in for some more kind of emergency surgery um, and then uh, found um, that she had a mini stroke and then also has a blood clot. Um, and so she's down in St. George, but she is doing better. She's under good, good care. Um, and if you don't know who Marge is, how many of you know who does the shoe boxes for us? Samaritan's Purse. Everybody knows Marge now. Um, and she, she, she has been at peace. She said she can feel the prayers. And so she thanks the church family for praying. So I'd like to pray for Marge and ask you to pray with me. But then also we found out this morning, uh, Deb Adair, uh, Miss Deb, uh, that she's going in for surgery actually this morning. Uh, she was up in Salt Lake. It was uh, kind of emergency gallbladder surgery. Uh, so if you would, be praying for her. So how many of you are thankful that you're healthy and you're here? Amen, right? We take things for granted, don't we? And so let's pray for them. Uh, and then uh, we'll jump right in. Thank you for being here this morning. But we want to pray for some of our church body that really needs our prayer right now. So let's do that. Lord, we love you. And we are so thankful that you truly are such an awesome God. You are a faithful God. And Lord, we thank you for your grace, Lord. And as we sang this morning and we worshiped this morning, Lord, we know that there are times that we fail and we fall. But we're so thankful for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you that you are healer. And as we were singing this morning, I, I was thinking about those in our church body who do need healing, Lord, and, and comfort and peace. And so, Lord, we lift up Marge, Lord. We pray that you would just watch over her, and, and we pray for her and for healing. And we pray for, for Deb as well. We pray for healing for her. And, Lord, we thank you for those that are caring for them. And, Lord, we pray that you would give them uh, guidance. We pray you give them wisdom and discernment. Just use them, Lord, to, to administer healing, Lord. But we know that truly you are the great physician and that all healing comes from you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would watch over these members of our body, Lord. Just, again, bless their families, give them comfort, and give them peace. Lord, we thank you that you are with us, Lord, when we're going through trial and difficult times, that you do not abandon us. And, Lord, we thank you for this study that we're doing on Joseph and all that Joseph went through. The Bible tells us that, that you were with him. And, Lord, we know that you are with uh, those who are going through trials and adversity. And we thank you for that, that hope and that encouragement it brings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's jump into Genesis chapter 39. Um, we have a brief meeting at the end for Vacation Bible School for all of you that are interested in Vacation Bible School. So I want to try to cover as much as I can this morning, but leave time for that. And then, of course, we have Bible study afterwards. And then we have second service later. Uh, but you guys got up early because you love the Lord more than the second service. <laughs> Some of you looked at me sarcastically, and that's because you said, you're saying, well, I wish that was why. But it's like, it's such a beautiful day, and we want to get out and go enjoy it. And we should enjoy God's creation, amen? And you can't help but see it on your way in. And what a beautiful day. But Genesis chapter 39 uh, we're going to look at verses 6 through 18. We've been in this chapter a lot, 
We've been looking at areas where God is, is working in the life of Joseph. Um, and what we're studying is this, is that before God can work um, through Joseph, God is going to work in Joseph. And that's what we've been studying. And we looked at a, a number of areas or disciplines. And we're going to look at a third discipline today. But look at Genesis 39. If you, we have it here as well, would you follow along with me? We're going to read verses 6 through 18. It says this, so he, speaking of Potiphar, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and in, in, in appearance. It says he was, some versions say he is well built and handsome. And it says, and after a time, his master's wife, she cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. And he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my, my, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater, uh, he, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. Notice, day after day, she's propositioning him, trying to wear him down. It says, and he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, it says, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled. He ran and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me, and he fled, and he got out of the house. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you, so she's even putting blame on her husband, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. And many of us, we know the rest of the story, how Joseph falsely accused is then thrown into prison and he'll spend many years in prison. God is doing a work in the life of Joseph. We said it like this is that that in order to, for God to use Joseph in a tremendous way in the years to come, God is disciplining Joseph in a number of areas. You see, before God can do a work through Joseph, God's going to do a work in Joseph. We said it like this as well, that oftentimes that God will prepare us for what he has prepared for us. And what we see is, is that, that God is, is truly at work in Joseph's life. And God did not abandon Joseph. And there is a period of 13 years from the time that Joseph dreams the dreams as a 17-year-old young man until the time that he's 30 years of age after he comes out of prison. And we'll be looking at that in the next week or two. 
But there's 13 years that we would look at the life of Joseph that maybe even for some would say that they were wasted years. That 13 years of Joseph's life was wasted. But may I say to you that when God allowed Joseph to go through these things, it was all a part of God's purpose and it was all a part of God's plan. And that they were not wasted years. It's because God was going to do something through Joseph. He's first working in Joseph. And there's a number of disciplines that Joseph, I believe, God was moving and working in his life. The first one we said was this, is that he was disciplined in the area of service and serving. And he learned how to be a servant and to serve. He was disciplined, we saw last week, in the area of suffering. And remember, we studied a little bit about suffering. And remember what suffering does. Suffering produces a number of things, right? It produces humility. Suffering produces, the Bible says, growth. No pain, say it with me, no gain. No pain, no gain. Suffering produces growth. But we also realize that through the suffering, it produces and brings glory to God. I want us to look this week, and I want you to see that we, we see that God is disciplining Joseph in another area, and that Joseph really, we see, demonstrated something that is needed in all of our lives, and that is the discipline of self-control. Think about this as we study this passage. We see that, that Joseph, the Bible says that he was attractive, He's young, he's healthy, it says he's well-built, he's handsome. And before long, he catches the eye of his master's wife. All we know her is as Potiphar's wife. We don't know what her name is. But Potiphar's wife begins to see Joseph and she's attracted to Joseph. And it wasn't out of love. In fact, many versions will say this, that she had lust, that she was beginning to lust after Joseph. And so she begins to proposition him. And as we read earlier and we read in this passage, it's interesting because it says this day by day. It was a day after day ordeal that she is trying to wear Joseph down. Picture now this woman who uh, is wealthy and she, they have many servants. You saw that she sent out many others. She's, she's wealthy. I would, I would say to you, she's probably pampered. She's probably spoiled. She's really one of the elite. She's one of the elite in the system. You have Pharaoh. And think about it. Who's the most trusted man after Pharaoh? The most trusted man eventually will become Joseph. But it's Potiphar. Why? Because Potiphar is the captain of the guard. His job is to make sure that Pharaoh is protected. And so... This woman is elite. This woman is wealthy. We don't know what she looks like, but I'm assuming she's probably somewhat attractive. Regardless of this, Potiphar's wife is propositioning him day after day after day, trying to wear Joseph down. And she could not. He demonstrated self-control. The Bible says that finally the day comes where this is premeditated, it's planned, it's a plot. She makes sure everyone else is out of the house. And so now she's going to make her move on Joseph. Everyone's gone and here comes Potiphar's wife. 
The Bible says that literally she's all but forcing herself upon him. Now think about it. He has resisted her advances. The Bible says that he would avoid her at any cost, constantly trying to avoid her, trying to stay away from her, right? And what we see is this, is that she finally sets up a day where she has this premeditated plan and this plot where this is going to be the day and I'm going to finally wear Joseph down. And so Joseph's alone. And the Bible says that she comes in and she confronts him. I would say to you that she was flirtatious. She probably had those big, long eyelashes and there, you know. She put on her best perfume. Come on now. She put on the makeup. She started painting the barn, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> she put on the makeup and she put on, she, you know, the young people call it putting on the riz, you know. And so she, she's going to put on the riz. And so she's got her perfume and she made sure that she put on her lotion. And man, she put on a little extra makeup and she's batting her eyelashes. And, and, and she put on a mini skirt, you know. And she wore her, her heels. Come on now. You say, this isn't in the Bible, Joe. I'm the one preaching. It's in there, okay? <laughs> I would say to you that it is in there. She's provocative, and she's trying to do everything that she can do. And now she gets everyone out of the house, and, and now she's going to try to, to literally force herself upon Joseph. Can you picture it? Can you see it? And as soon as Joseph walks in, he sees the house is quiet, and he's thinking, oh, my goodness, and she traps him. And here he is, he's trapped. You know what I love about Joseph, man? Joseph, somewhere along the line, truly had developed a respect and a reverence for God because he said this, I will not do this sin against who? God. He may have been stripped of many things, but he wasn't stripped of his faith in God and in his character and in his discipline. And he said, I will not do this sin against God. What restraint, what self-control. And God is, I believe, using this in his life because not only did he have self-control, but it was a pattern of self-control. And we'll mention this in just a few moments, which he's going to need when he's in a place of power. The Bible says that he ran, he fled, he got out of there. Regardless of the consequences, we know that he's falsely accused. We know that he's lied about. And then later, because he did the right thing, he's thrown into prison, but the Lord was with him. You know, I'm reminded of another example. I had mentioned this numerous times. Joseph is such a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in Matthew chapter 26. I want you to see an example of the Lord Jesus Christ and the amount of self-control he possessed. It says this in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 47, as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, remember Judas is bringing a band of, of, of soldiers, bringing a, a band of men to betray Jesus. And look what happens. It says that while he was still speaking, Judas came. And one of the 12 with him, uh, a great crowd, notice this, with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had given him a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. 
And he came to Jesus at once and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Listen to these words. Jesus said to him, Wow, look at these words. Friend. Jesus called Judas his friend. Do what you came to do. Then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus, we know it to be Peter. When you read the other Gospels, it was Peter. He stretched out his hand and he draws his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all uh, who take of the sword will perish by the sword. Listen to these words. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels, 12 legions of angels a legion is anywhere, 6,000 plus. He says, was saying, I could have called more than 72,000 angels. That's a lot of angels. He said, I could have called, you know, there's an old hymn or an old song. It says that he could have called 10,000 angels. No, it was many more than that. Jesus said, I could have called 12 legions of angels. We see the self-control that Jesus had. That as Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss, could you imagine? Could you imagine a group of soldiers, a group of men coming to you and being betrayed by one of your, your best friends, someone that you love and someone that you care for, and they're bringing swords and clubs, and then to be betrayed by a kiss. And in the midst of it, what do we see? We see tremendous restraint, tremendous self-control. We see Jesus calling him friend. And beyond that, when Peter pulls out the sword and he, 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 he tries to defend the Lord and, and he cuts off a man's ear, we see that Jesus said, listen, stop, stop. Do you not realize that I have the power and the authority to call out to the Father? And the Father would send upwards of 75,000 angels. That they're, I mean, think about that. One thought, one word, and Jesus could have annihilated them. Do you remember in the story as well that Jesus, like the, the force just hits him and they all go flying? How many of you kind of remember that? It was kind of like Darth Vader's Star Wars, but it was only good, not evil, amen? And they all go flying. And Jesus says, I could have called 75,000 angels. Do you know in the Old Testament, one angel was sent into the camp and killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians? Do you remember that? Do you know there's another account of one angel that went into the Assyrian army? If you read in the Old Testament, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. One angel. What do you think 75,000 angels can do? The damage that they could have done. And Jesus is under control. What does it mean to have self-control? It means this. If you look up just good old Webster's dictionary, it says this. The ability to master one's desires and impulses. The ability to master one's desires and impulses. Jesus was under control. We see Joseph at a time, and as a teenage young man, where hormones could be going crazy and, and could have 
rationalize and come up with every reason why he can just go ahead and sin against God, but he says, I will not do it. He had self-control, the ability to control his impulses and his emotions and his desires. Solomon in Proverbs chapter 25 gives us a great warning. Look what it says. Solomon says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into, notice this, and left without walls. No walls. Let's put it in today's terms. We know that in the Old Testament, the cities were protected by walls. And it was saying this, could you imagine if someone broke into that city, wreaked havoc in the city, and broke down the walls? Now that city is going to be vulnerable time after time after time, to be overrun, to be overtaken, to be robbed. Do you understand Solomon in his wisdom is saying this, is that you and I, that if we do not have the discipline of self-control, he says we're like a city that's broken down and has no walls. Let me ask you this question. Do most of you lock your doors at night? How many of you lock your doors? You have doors? You lock them? Yeah. Could you imagine... What it would be like, you and your family, if you said, well, we're just, we're sleeping in the front yard. We're just, you know, you have no walls. You have no doors. You have no protection. Do you understand how important what Solomon is saying is this, is that in the life of a follower of Christ, as you and I as believers, he gives us a great warning that, that self-control is so important, that, that, that there's a danger when we lack self-control. That if we're not careful, we'll allow our impulses and our desires to consume us. And then a lack of self-control is like a city that, that is broken down. It leaves us vulnerable. Look what Galatians says. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see the two contrasts. You ready? So what are the works of our flesh? What are our impulses? What are our desires? What does our flesh want? It says this, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality. That's what Potiphar's wife was trying to do with Joseph. Sexual sins, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, you know, fighting, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. When we, when we do not have self-control, what do we have? We're, we're short-tempered and we have anger and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions. Envy. Look at this. Drunkenness. Getting drunk. And orgies and things like these. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Strong words. Word of God. Strong words. Amen? But... Here's the, here's the opposite. But the fruit or the manifestation of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Say the next word with me. Self-control. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, the opposite... Of, of just giving in to our uh, desires and emotions and just, as we see here in this passage, letting our impulses and letting our flesh go crazy. The opposite is this, is that the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to have self-control or self-discipline. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 
chapter 1, verse 7. And Timothy, Paul tells, tells Timothy, he's a young man, he says, run and flee from youthful lust. Run from it, stay away from it. But listen to what he says. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love. And notice, what is it? Say it with me. Self-control. The Holy Spirit... One of the manifestations of the Spirit is to give us the ability to control our impulses, to control uh, our emotions and our desires and our passions. You know, we live in a culture and a society that says that, in essence, if it feels good, do it. Just let your, run, let your desires and impulses run wild. And the Bible says those are the works of the flesh, and they are not of God. But the works of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to have a restraining, a restraining power in our lives to give us self-discipline, to give us self-control. The Holy Spirit gives us this ability. Look with me one other passage, because I want to make sure I get the scripture that's the most important, and then just give us a few thoughts. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Paul uses a, an Olympic athlete as an example. He uses an athlete, a runner. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. He's using the Christian life as an analogy. He says every athlete, notice he speaks of the Olympic Games, athletes, runners, the marathon runner. He uses throughout scripture the illustration of a wrestler, part of the Olympic Games, the Greco-Roman wrestlers. Every athlete, notice what they do. They exercise what? Self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He's saying we do it to receive a, a crown that doesn't fade away. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one that, that beats the air. But I discipline, here's this self-discipline, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul uses the illustration of wrestlers or runners or Olympic athletes who exercise a ton of discipline and self-control so that they may win the prize. And what he's saying is this, is as followers of Jesus Christ, we are living the Christian life. And the Christian life must be lived with self-control, must be lived with discipline. But I want to remind you of something, that you and I, in and of our own strength, we will fail, and we will fail miserably. Are you with me? But we can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the ability to have this self-control, to have the ability to restrain, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit to have this discipline. I'm reminded of a a wrestler I used to coach, a number of them, a bunch of them, different ones. But I remember this one guy named Juan. Juan oftentimes did not have discipline or self-control. He's the one that probably the one, of the mo one that stands out the most about 
you know, they have certain weight classes. And, 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 and by the way, it's done. They do it healthy. They have to do a hydration test. And they get on a scale. And they, they actually get on a scale and it tells them how much body fat they have and how much weight they can lose and how much time they can lose it. And so it's not like back in the old days, you know, where we did. It's done in a healthy way. And, and it's actually overseen by the state and by doctors. And so obviously the kid had plenty of body weight to lose and to lose it healthy. And, and so he was on this weight management plan to, to get his weight down. Anyway, he was, he was doing great. He was on track and he was at the weight that he wanted to wrestle and, and everything was good and everything was fine. But what he would do is he, you know, like for example, we went to, we were in, I was coaching in Tucson and we went to Vegas to this big tournament. We get there to Vegas for this big tournament, and I said, how's your weight? We work out. We exercise. He says, coach, I'm like a pound and a half, two pounds under. I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. I'm like, okay, eat a little, drink a little, ate a little, drank a little, it's fine. And then we, we checked weight again. Like right before bed, we'll have like a curfew, and we have a scale, and I always make sure to check their weight. And I'm like, hey, you're like... You're like about a pound under, and he, okay, you're a pound under. That, you're great. You're fine. He says, well, can I have, he says, can I have a few sips of Gatorade? I said, sure, you can have a few sips of Gatorade, but just don't drink too much, you know, because that'll put a lot of weight on you, and then you'll wake up overweight. So the next morning, gets up, and uh, he gets on the scale, and he's more than two pounds overweight. I said, Two pounds. I said, you went to bed a pound under. You usually sleep off a pound or two, and you're two pounds over. That's like four or five pounds. And I said, what, what happened, Juan? What happened? He goes, you know that Gatorade? And it was a big one. He goes, you know that Gatorade? He says, you said I can have a few sips. He says, I took a few, I took a sip. Then I took another sip, and he says, all night long, coach. It just kept saying, he says, the cucumber, whatever it was, it was a cucumber, whatever flavor he goes it just kept calling to me he says and one sip became another sip and then another sip and another sip and he says I drank all of that Gatorade and then another one he was like two pounds over he goes but don't worry coach I'm gonna sweat it off I'm gonna make weight and so he put on all these sweats. I'll never forget it. The whole team's watching. He put on all these sweats, puts on a sweatshirt, puts on, and he's running up and down. We're in this casino in Vegas. He's running up and down the halls. Picture this guy running through the hall. He hits the ground. He starts doing burpees. He runs, and there's, there's like guests coming out of the rooms. He's dodging guests, doing, and they're looking at him, and he's got sweat just pouring off his face. I'm watching sweat drip into the carpet. And I said, well, Juan, I said, maybe you'll learn Learn your lesson. I will, coach. I promise I will. But I'm going to make weight. You know, the thing is, he did actually make weight. Can you believe it? He made weight. He lost two pounds in like 30 minutes, you know. We went and he made weight. And I said, well, this is just a good lesson. You know, you got to learn some self-control and you can't give in to those urges and sure, yeah, whatever. Same guy. Right before Christmas break, I'm like, hey, guys. I'm like, listen, you got to really be careful. You got to watch. We're off for a few days. You got to watch your weight. You know, don't enjoy Christmas, but don't don't overdo it. And after about a three day break or so, four day break, we came back in and I'll never forget this. I could look at him and I could see the weight on him. 
he came in and we have a rule that you write your weight down. And he didn't write his weight down on the weigh-in sheet. He was the only one. And he's completely covered head to toe, head to toe in sweats, hoodie. He had a hat underneath. He had his, you know, they taped the wrists and they taped the feet. And he's in there and, he, and, and he's working out. And he watched me go into my little office where the scale is and where I checked the weight. And I came back out and I could see him looking at me, you know, like he was caught. And I said, I know you're over. I'm like, but how much over? It's okay, coach. It's not a big deal. It's not that much. I promise. It's okay. I said, well, you didn't write it down, so it's got to be quite a bit. I said, how much you over? He goes, it was like 27 pounds overweight. I said, Juan. Now think about his name. I said, Juan, what happened? He goes, I couldn't help it, coach. I couldn't help it. He's like, I'm, my family's Mexican, coach, you know, like, we eat a lot of fattening foods. And then he starts telling me all the food that he ate over break. He goes, but it's mostly water weight. That's what he told me. <laughs> Within a week or so, he got his weight back down. And I kept challenging him about self-control and, and discipline. You know what's interesting is that young man, there's kind of a whole story to it, but he lacked self-control. He lacked discipline in many areas, including school and grades. I'll never forget, one of his counselors called me and she said, he has two F's and he's got like a couple D's. And she said, he's not going to be eligible. And it was, this was his senior year and she said, he's not going to graduate if he doesn't do something about it. I remember I got the message and I'm sitting on the, in the front parking lot of the high school and I, something just told me, he said, walk in there, go find him. And so I walked back into the high school. And as I'm walking in, he's getting ready to leave campus. And I said, Juan, where are you going? What are you doing? He said, well, well, I'm going home. I'm leaving campus. I said, you are not leaving this campus. And I pulled up his grades. I said, look at your grades. I said, you are not leaving campus. You will graduate, and you will finish the season, and you will wrestle. The only thing that would keep that guy in school and have him even think about passing would be wrestling. He goes, oh, I didn't realize, I didn't know. I'm like, you, you're not showing up the class. you got to show up the class. Remember this discipline and self-control that we've talked about that you need in your life? You're going to walk back in, you're going to go to your counselor, and we're going to get your grades up. You know what he did? He actually listened. One of the few times someone actually listened. He walked back in, talked to his counselor, didn't leave campus that day. And I said, you will not be leaving campus early. You will not be doing it. You will stay and you will work and you will, you will be eligible and you will wrestle and you will make it to state this year and you will wrestle at state. You know what he did? He wrestled at state. You know what he did? He walked across and got his diploma. You know what else he had going on in his life? Drugs. He was into drugs. A year after he graduated, we were at a tournament. And he came up to me at a tournament. And there was a group of other guys there. And he said this. He said, I'll never forget the day that you walked on campus and you told me to get my butt <laughs> back in campus. He says, I know you probably don't believe this. He said, but all the preaching and all the Bible verses and all the talks he says, you, I, I wasn't listening at the time. He said, but I want you to know I'm listening, and I've listened. 
And he said, I'm one year clean, one year off drugs. You know what's awesome? You know what he does now? He is a personal trainer. He is a fitness trainer. And he owns, him and his family, own their own health and wellness gym. (laughs) And I follow him on Instagram. But he told a bunch of, and he would come in once in a while and tell the other wrestlers, you need to listen. You need to listen. Can I say this? He lacked, and by the way, it happens to all of us. When we lack areas of discipline and self-control, when we lack in some areas, before long, it becomes many areas. You see, for him, it wasn't just school and grades. And it wasn't just his eating and all of those things. It ended up becoming drugs in many areas of his life. But once he began to develop some self-control and some discipline, his life began to change. Now, I believe that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to to equip us in this. Let me just finish with this and talk to us as parents. I got just a couple minutes. And I know we have youth and we have young people in here, but let me remind us of something. We have a tremendous responsibility and role as parents to make sure that we do all that we can do to instill in our kids discipline and self-control. Here's a difficult part. How many of you have ever heard of that frontal lobe? How many of you know what I'm talking about? The prefrontal cortex, the PFC, does not fully develop in adolescence till about the mid-20s. And some of you right now are going, there's hope for my kids. <laughs> the reason why I'm just bringing this up is to say this, is that in adolescence, in youth, in young people, in teenagers, even up into their early 20s, even mid-20s, the frontal lobe is still developing. The prefrontal cortex is not there. And you say, well, why are you bringing this up? Because the prefrontal cortex is is motivation. It's risk and reward. It has to do with, most importantly, risk and consequences. Logic. And so that is not, I'm not trying to be mean here. That's just mush up there. They've done brain scans. Let me just warn you, if you're here a young person, teenager, that's why alcohol, that's why drugs and all of those things you need to stay away from, it literally stops the blood flow and stops the growth in the frontal lobe. And that's why many oftentimes lack, as they get older, the ability to understand consequences. Anyway, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, but I am saying this, as we as parents And you young people understand this, that your frontal lobe and that prefrontal cortex is not there, so you don't understand all the consequences. You don't understand why your parents are trying to protect you or why they're they're keeping you from certain situations or circumstances or even certain people because you don't get it, you don't understand. And that's why the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right because your parents love you and they care about you and they understand the consequences. They understand what could happen, and so they're looking out for you because they love you. Amen? But parents, let me also encourage you with this, is that if you're dealing and struggling and saying, ah, and why doesn't my kid understand this? Why don't they get it? And why don't, this just makes so much sense, but it doesn't make sense to them because there's still hope for them, okay? You say, yeah, but my kid's in their 30s. Well, then pray even harder, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> but even into the mid-20s, I remember I was pastoring my first, I started pastoring when I was 23, 24 years of age, and I would often joke and say, well, just remember, it's still developing, so any mistakes I make until middle, upper 20s, just give me a pass, you know? I'm not using it as an excuse. I'm not trying to say it is an excuse, but I want to say is this, is as parents, that is why God has entrusted them to us and that we have to protect them, we have to guard them, and we have to keep trying. And it gets hard and it's frustrating. And every child is different. Every kid is different. Every child is different. Each one develops differently. And some are late bloomers, right? And some of them from an early age, understand consequences and they're very cautious. The other ones are the ones who just run and jump out. They just go and do. That's why kids do crazy things and you see these videos you think, what were they thinking? They weren't thinking. There's nothing there. <laughs> Five, ten years later, like, they do what I did. Wow, I can't believe I did that. I look back and I go, I can't believe I did some of the things I did. And that was crazy. What was I thinking? I wasn't. <laughs> Amen? And so parents, let me just in, encourage you, be patient. And understand that God's still developing them. God's still growing them. But it is our role to be an example of dis discipline and self-control. To, to help try to to train them in discipline and self-control, but also understand that, that they're still developing. Be patient and understand as well that the Holy Spirit it does an amazing work in our lives. Amen? That the Holy Spirit can give us the ability. And may I just say this as I close. If you, there's areas in your life where you're lacking discipline, you're lacking self-control, I would encourage you to do this, to pray and say, say Lord, Holy Spirit, Give me victory in this area of my life. Give me victory in this area. Holy Spirit, empower me and give me victory. But then take the necessary steps. Amen? Take the necessary steps to develop some self-control. The world tells us that we are supposed to live lives without restraint and that, that we just live life to the fullest and without restraint. But may I say to you, there are consequences when we live that way. And may I remind you something, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the power to live a life of self-control. Joseph lived a life of self-control, and think about it. Think about what self-control it took when Joseph one day sees his brothers walking to him. And as they're walking to him, they're bowing down, and they come with bags begging for grain, begging for food. And Joseph, the second most powerful man in the world at that moment, is now challenged with a decision. He has the power. He could, he could imprison them. He could take their lives. And when he sees his brothers for the first time, we see Joseph demonstrating what? Self-control. Self-control. Not wielding the authority and the power that he had, not abusing his power, not abusing his authority. Joseph demonstrated a pattern of self-control in his life. Boy, he needed it on that day. I wonder how many of us would have the self-control that Joseph had, that the ones who were behind so many years of his suffering, the ones who were envious and jealous of him, the ones who betrayed him, the ones who sold him into slavery, the ones who were going to kill him, and left him for dead, literally. 
Can you imagine the self-control that it must have taken for Joseph when he sees his brothers and they come and they're bowing down? Or maybe the wanting to say, I told you so, but he didn't. He demonstrates self-control. And later we'll see in the story, not only does he have self-control, but Joseph has the ability to forgive his brothers. Wow. We have that same ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. This is chapter 39. And we're continuing our series on Joseph, God's sovereign hand in our lives. And I don't know about you, but when you go through difficult times, isn't it encouraging to know that God has a purpose, God has a plan, and that God is still in control. Amen? And so we see that in the life of Joseph, all that he went through. But there was a purpose, there was a plan. And we're going to see here in Genesis 39 in just a moment. We'll begin reading in verse number 6, and we'll have the scripture there for you. But as we look at God's sovereign hand in the life of Joseph, we, we said this the last few weeks. We've been looking at the, the areas of, of his life that God is disciplining Joseph. We're reminded of the fact that, that before God is going to work through Joseph, God has to do a work in Joseph. And this is one thing that sometimes we, we don't like is that sometimes God does things in our lives and he's going to put us through things so that he can later use us. And that's exactly what he's going to do uh, with Joseph. We see that Joseph uh, obviously loved God and he had a heart for God. And we see that he did go through and experience suffering and he went through difficult times. And there's 13 year period from the time Joseph is, has these dreams and has these visions and sees that God has a purpose and a plan for him, but it's 13 years of suffering, 13 years of going through hardship and trial and difficulty. And it's 13 years that he's going to have to go through these things and understand that God has a purpose and a plan and that God is preparing Joseph for what he has prepared for Joseph. And so there's three disciplines that we looked at the first one was this, is that G Joseph had to go through the discipline of, of, of service and learning to serve because he's going to be a place of leadership. The second one last week, the one that none of us like, was the discipline of suffering. How many of you enjoy suffering? Anyone? No one. No one enjoys suffering. Remember what James said, count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of different types of adversity and struggles. And we understood this is that, that although we don't like suffering, remember what we said, no pain, say it with me, no gain. That's right. Suffering brings growth. And so we looked at it that suffering last week brings humility. It brings us to a place of humility and humbling ourselves. Suffering brings growth in our lives. No pain, no gain. But ultimately, if we allow God to do his work in our life, Suffering will bring glory to God and glory to God through our lives. Now, notice this week we're going to look at another aspect of God disciplining Joseph. And, and we're going to see that Joseph had something that we all need and we all struggle with, that we all need in our lives, is this self-control. Notice the self-control of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. It says this, so Potiphar, it says, he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. 
<coughs> anyway, Joseph was well-built and handsome, the Bible says. Now notice, though, somebody's going to take notice. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. Here's this self-control. And said to his master's wife, behold, because of, of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater, uh, he is not greater in in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness, and notice what he says, in sin against God. And as, notice this, as she spoke to J Joseph day after day, this is an ongoing occurrence, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie be beside her or to be with her. It says that he tries to avoid her at every possibility. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was in the house, this is premeditated, it's planned, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment and her hand and fled and got out of the house. He runs. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to, to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. By the way, liar, liar, pants on fire. She's such a liar. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. She told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant, and notice she's kind of blaming her husband, the Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. God is working in the life of Joseph. We're going to see that one character trait that Joseph had was that of self-control. And that God is going to allow Joseph, even in this circumstance that he's in, to have to go through a difficult time. He's going to go through... A test and testing. And we're going to see one of the purposes for it here in a few moments. But one thing that we see in the life of Joseph that he demonstrated self-control. What does self-control mean? It means this, the ability, if you look up good old Webster, Webster's Dictionary, the ability to master one's desires and impulses. To master one's desires and impulses. Joseph here in this story is confronted with what a lot of young men would be confronted with, and that's less temperance, temperance, my, my daughter. Please stop talking. I'm trying to preach the word of God. I need you to move. Come up front. Come up front. I need you to come up front, and you need to hear this. I love you, and you need to hear this. You need to stop talking, so sit right here and listen to the message. Do you understand me? And that's anyone else who's going to be talking. You, Mr. Police Officer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, this is important. You need to be listening. Do you understand me? Not talking in church. It's called self-control. It's called discipline. By the way, that's for my own kids. That's for all of us. We need to have discipline, self-control. 
This is important stuff for my own kids, for your kids, for you, for me. Controlling our impulses, desires. We all have flesh, and that flesh is very powerful. And Joseph is confronted with lust. He's confronted with a woman who's going to try to, to, try to, to get Joseph to sin with her. And Joseph demonstrates self-control. Potiphar's wife is propositioning Joseph, and the Bible says it's day by day, day after day, she's going to try to wear Joseph down. Joseph, we see here that day after day, resists this temptation. He lives a life of self-control. He has a pattern of self-control. He could not, could not be wore down. Potiphar's wife even gets to a point where she tries to force herself. But let's just put this in today's perspective. Put this in perspective in the day and age that we live, and that is this, is that she is flirtatious, she's flaunting. I would say to you that she put on her long eyelashes. How many would you agree, right? And she puts on her makeup, and maybe she puts on, you know, let's just put in today's terms, maybe she puts on a really short skirt. She wears those killer heels that she looks great in, right? And so she puts on those heels, and so she puts them on, and what is she going to do? She's going to try to get Joseph and try to win him over. The Bible says he's good-looking, he's handsome. And we don't know what her marriage is like. We don't know what that situation is like. But we do know this, is that, that she's going to try to wear Joseph down day after day after day, and Joseph demonstrates self-control. Picture her as she's flirting. She puts up on, maybe she puts on her lotion. She puts on her favorite, uh, favorite perfume and she smells good. And even on this day, she gets all of the other people out of the house and she's going to make her move. This is my chance. I'm going to make my move and I'm going I'm to get Joseph to fall into sin with me. And what does Joseph do? He said, I will not do this sin against God. In fact, he runs, he flees, he gets out of there. Joseph is demonstrating a pattern of self-control. Joseph is living a life of, of discipline, and, and notice that he has this heart for God. He was stripped of everything. He was stripped of all that he had, but he wasn't stripped of, of, the, of this character that he had and this love for God that he had. And he said, I'm not going to do this sin against God. He had self-control. The Bible says that he fled, he ran, he got out of there. We'll see that Paul tells young Timothy in the, in the book of Timothy, he says, run from youthful lust, flee, get away from it. Jesus had self-control. Look with me in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 47 through verse 53, it says this. Picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that he's going to be betrayed by his dear friend, near friend. We know him as a betrayer, but Jesus loved Judas. Notice it says, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man sees him. Think about how low could you go? 
And he came to Jesus at once and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, look at these next few words with me, friend. He still called him a friend. He said, friend, do what you came to do. I wonder how we would respond. Then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, we know it to be Peter. If you read the other Gospels, he stretched out his hand. He takes his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? Listen to these words. And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. He said, I can call out my father and he will give me 12 legions. That's 6,000 plus. What he's saying is I can have at my disposal at any moment, at one thought, one prayer, one word, 72,000 plus angels and they will come and they, they could wreak havoc. They could destroy every single person here. Can you imagine the self-control that Jesus had that when this man comes to betray him with a kiss that Jesus still calls him friend? And when Peter pulls out the sword, Jesus demonstrates self-control and he says, no, stop. And he says, listen, I could call 72,000 plus angels. If you study in the Bible, remember one angel went through Egypt. Remember later in the story of Pharaoh? Remember the firstborn of every child? One angel went through all of Egypt and killed the firstborn. There's another story in the New, uh, Old Testament where I believe it was during the time of Sennacherib and the Assyrians came in to take over Israel and Israel was completely surrounded and the king cries out to God and he begs God in humility for God to deliver them. And the Bible says that one angel was sent. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that when they woke up the next day and looked in the valley, there were 185,000 Assyrians killed by one angel and Sennacherib had to leave, and he had to run, and he left. And the Bible says, we, we find out later, and if you study history, you'll find out that Sennacherib's own kids killed him and took over his kingdom. One angel. Jesus said, I could, I could call over 72,000 angels. Can you imagine the self-control that Jesus Christ had as he went to the cross? knowing that one thought, one word, and he could unleash a, a, a fury like no one has ever seen. Are you with me this morning? Self-control. Notice what Solomon says in Proverbs 25. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, here's the danger of not having self-control, not having this discipline. It says this, a man without self-control, Solomon warns us, is like a city broken into and left without walls. A city that's broken down and has no walls. We know in the Old Testament, in, many, in the old days, and many times cities built great fortifications. They built walls to protect the city. Do you understand what Psalm is saying? He's saying that when you and I, when we're not exercising discipline and self-control, there's a danger. It's a dangerous thing to not have self-control. That, that it leaves you open. 
It leaves you susceptible to the enemy. May I say this to us as as followers of Christ and as believers, that we're in a great spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. And that there is the enemy, a lion, who seeks whom he may devour. And we are in a spiritual warfare. And when we are not exercising discipline and when we don't have self-control in our lives, it is an opening where the enemy can come in. It would be as though, you know, the city that has no walls to protect it. And the enemy can just walk in and do whatever it chooses and whatever it wills. Can I say this? In the life of a Christian, when we lack discipline and self-control, we are literally leaving, if you will, ourselves defenseless against the enemy. The enemy wants to come in and he wants to wreak havoc in our lives. The Bible tells us that one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is that it gives us this ability to have self-control. I want to run through a few scriptures for you quickly. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 25. So what, what is the opposite of not being filled with the Spirit? What is the opposite of not demonstrating self-control? Well, look what Paul says. Now, the works of the flesh, what, are, what do our flesh desire? What does my, my flesh want to do? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. We'll keep going. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Look at fits of anger, losing our temper, fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions. Divisions, there's a long list here. Envy, notice this, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are strong words Paul is using here. He says, That's, this is what it looks like when there is no self-control, when there is no discipline. He says, this is what it's going to look like. He says, but notice, notice what happens. But the fruit or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit, is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Notice this, gentleness. Can you say the next word with me? Self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to have this restraining force in our lives. If we will submit to the Holy Spirit, we won't then just live by the impulses of our flesh, of our desires, and of the things that our flesh desires. Let me remind you something. If you're saved and you've accepted Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Can I remind you of something? Your flesh did not get saved. How many of you know that? You know what I mean by that? Your flesh did not get saved. What I mean is, when you accept Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit moves in, can I ask you something? Do you still have the, the, the urge to lie? Yes or no? Yes. You almost, some of you almost lied right now. No. Do we still have the same desires to lie Yes. Do we still have oftentimes the same impulses? Maybe before we accepted Christ, and before we became a Christian, we struggled with anger and the temper. Can I say this? When you get saved, guess what? That anger and temper is still there. 
But you know what happens? The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to restrain, the ability to overcome that. He says, he mentions strife. How about jealousy? You know, there's, there's a long list there. Sexual immorality and sexual sins. He says the Holy Spirit will manifest this restraining power in our lives. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love. Can you say the next words with me? And what? Self-control. The Bible tells us that God's spirit gives us the ability to have self-control. This discipline that's needed in our lives. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, I want to give you a lot of scripture. Listen to me, this idea of being disciplined, the idea of the Holy Spirit equipping us and giving us the ability to exercise self-control is scriptural. It says this, do you not know that in a race, Paul is talking about the Christian life and he compares it to Olympic games. He uses a race. In the scripture, he uses wrestling, the Greco-Roman. He talks about fighting here as well in in a moment. But he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises, what's the word? Self-control. He uses this analogy. He says athletes will exercise self-control in all things. Why do they do it? They do it to receive a a perishable wreath. So the idea is to win, to win the prize, to get the trophy, to get first place, to stand at the top of the podium. He says they will use and exercise discipline and self-control in their life so that they can win the prize. But notice he reminds us as followers of Christ, we do it. Because there's going to be an imperishable crown someday. He says we do it to receive that that crown. To hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, so I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He talks about fighting, grappling. He says, but I discipline. Listen when he says, I discipline my body. And I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I literally subject my body. I discipline my body. Now, let me remind all of us of something, and that is this, is that our flesh is not saved. Our flesh still desires the sinful things. But what we do have is we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enables us and gives us the ability to refrain from just indulging in all that our desires desire. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit gives us this ability to have this discipline, to have self-control. It's a restraining force in our lives. I want to just bring up this reminder for all of us. And that is this, is that as parents and as a parent... We have a tremendous responsibility to try to train our kids in this area of discipline and self-control. One of the reasons why is this. Have you ever heard of the frontal lobe? How many of you have ever heard of that? How many of you have ever heard of, it's referred to as the, not PVC, but the prefrontal cortex. How many of you have ever heard of that? The P, 
I can't even read my notes. Prefrontal cortex, PFC, there you go. Prefrontal cortex, how many of you have ever heard of that? Now, I'm not a doctor, but in adolescence, the prefrontal cortex is still developing, and it's not all there, you know what I mean? In fact, it's not until the mid-20s that the prefrontal cortex finally begins to come to full maturity. That means that there's hope for our kids. There's hope, temperance. There's hope. You say, well, why is this such a big deal? And why are you mentioning this? And, and let me just say this. This is not an excuse. But one thing we have to understand is that the prefrontal cortex, the, the, the frontal lobe, has everything to do with logic, a lot to do with like motivation, risk, consequences. And, and so what happens is, is a lot of times kids just don't understand consequences. They don't understand decisions and choices and how choices end up with huge consequences, right? You know, that's why kids will do crazy things. I remember going back and, and going places where I used to go and seeing things and doing and seeing areas where I used to go bridge jumping and cliff jumping. I used to do all that stuff. Now I go back and I thought to myself, what was I doing? What was I thinking? And then I realized I wasn't thinking. Because the front, frontal lobe is not developed, right? And so in adolescence and kids, all the way up until their mid to upper 20s, that is still developing. And some of you wives out there are saying about your husbands right now, there's hope. There's hope. For my husband, you know, some of you parents, I want to encourage you. There's hope for you, okay? For me as a parent, there's hope. I, we have four kids, and all four are completely different. My, my first one, Josiah, he, for some reason, early on, he understood, like, for, he figured out consequence. He was very cautious, very nervous. He, wouldn't, he didn't like heights. We couldn't even get him on roller coasters. He's like, no, you could die in that. We would get in the car and we would have a half a tank of gas and we were on our way and I would see him like looking up to the front and saying, Dad, are we going to run out of gas? Do you think we have enough gas? And like, we've got plenty of gas. Then my daughter was completely different. She was, she was the skydiver, go jump off anything. And you know, it's, she's not here right now. I only embarrass one child at a time each service, just so you know, okay? My older one was here earlier. And you know what was interesting is uh, we were talking about whitewater rafting and skydiving and stuff. She goes, I just don't know if I'd ever do that again. She goes, I don't know. And, and my wife's like, why? What's changed? In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I know it's changed. She's starting to get into her 20s. And now she realizes that there's risk and there's consequences. A few years back, she would have done anything. Skydiving, you name it, bungee jumping. She was talking about doing all this stuff. And I went skydiving with her on her birthday. Went skydiving with her. It's terrifying. Now she goes, I don't know if I do that stuff anymore. And in my mind, I'm like, I know what's happening. Finally, she's starting to get it. Organizational skills, you go, you wonder why the kids' rooms are a mess or why they don't have motivation. I'm not making excuses, but what I am saying is this. There's hope, amen? There's hope. But what we realize, and let me just say this, as parents, it's our job to try to instill discipline and self-control even when they're not experiencing it and understanding it and not realizing that there's consequences. That's why so many young people go out and do crazy things. Let me just say this as well. There's a lot of study to this, but 
alcohol and drugs in adolescence and in young people is, is a terrible thing because it literally stops the growth and hinders the growth and the blood flow for the frontal lobe. And that's why you have 50-year-old guys going, yeah, yeah, let's go, you know, and they're still on mom's couch, you know. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> Don't do drugs, right? Have some discipline, have self-control. Why? Because it's been hindered. And so here's the challenge for all of us is one, there's hope as parents because understand that, that that's not all there yet and it's not processed. So there's hope and be patient and love your kids. But it is our responsibility to try to to try to teach our kids to have discipline, to teach our kids to exercise self-control. But it's our job as parents. That's why the Bible says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Because your parents love you and they care about you, what they're doing is they're protecting you from many times choices and decisions and consequences because you don't understand. Are you with me? You don't understand what could be down the road. And parents, you know, we've had the opportunity of experience in life, and so we're looking out for them. So kids, can I say this? Even though you don't like it, understand that your parents love you. And because they love you, they're going to try to help you avoid poor choices and decisions that could lead to great consequences. And you might not get it. You might not understand it. And you can just blame God for that, okay? Because your brain hasn't fully developed. And I'm not joking. I'm being serious. Because how many times do kids are like, I just don't get it. I just don't understand. Right? How many of you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're sitting there and you're talking to them and you're reasoning with them. And you're like, it's like talking to a brick wall, but the brick wall spits back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're like, there's times I'm like, there's just nothing there. Not to err, but there's times I've said to my wife over the years, I'm like, they're not going to get it. Just give them about 10 years. Yeah, but we still have to talk to them. I'm like, I know. We still talk to them. We still reason, but they're not going to get it. And then all of a sudden, praise God, they start to get it. Amen. And then you know what happens? You know my son, he's 24. Is he 24? 25. 25. See, he's finally got it. He's 25. He was home for his birthday and home for Mother's Day. And, you know, all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I'm not letting my kids do this because they're getting ready to get married. When we have kids, we're not letting them do that. And I was like, what? You used to hate us for doing that and saying that. And he's like, yeah, but, but there's a reason, you know. And I'm thinking, yeah, you hated us when we were putting you through it. But they'll come along. But as parents, we have this responsibility to protect our kids. Amen, church? And kids, understand that your parents love you and they're looking out for you. But we, we need to instill this importance of self-discipline and self-control. When I was thinking about sports and athletes, I'll just tell you this one quick story. I, I coach wrestling and that's one where you got to have discipline and there's diet and nutrition and all of these things and hard work. And there's weight classes and kids will want to be at a certain weight class. And by the way, it's done healthy. They get on a scale. They measure their body fat, their body weight, and they know how tall they are, what they weigh. They have to be hydrated. And they have, a, they have a whole system. So please understand it's not something unhealthy. But I had, years ago, I had this wrestler. His name was Juan. 
And Juan definitely lacked discipline and self-control. And he was, wanted to be at this weight, wanted to wrestle this weight class. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we follow the weight plan and he finally does get to where he's supposed to be in the weight he's supposed to be at. And uh, we maybe wrestle one duel and now we're getting ready for his big tournament. And so we're in Tucson, Arizona. And we're going to go to this big, it's kind of like a national type tournament. And we go to Vegas. So we get to Vegas, and we even do it. We get there. We do a workout, and we check his weight. I always check their weights, and, and uh, after practice, check his weight. I'm like, you're good. So he eats a little. He drinks a little bit, and he's feeling good. And uh, before bed, I said, always check your weight. You know you sleep off a pound or two. And so he checks his weight, and he's like two, he was like two pounds under or something like that. He's like, coach, I'm like two pounds under. I'm like, you're doing awesome. You're doing great. And I said, he said, well, can I have a little Gatorade? Can I have a little bit of Gatorade? I said, sure, you can have a little. I'm like, but remember, you drink too much. Fluids get pretty heavy. I don't know if you know this, but like a bottle of water is over a pound, you know, of body weight. And, uh, and, he's, and he had this big Gatorade, and uh, it was some kind of cucumber something. Anyone remember? There's a Gatorade. It's kind of rare. It's a cucumber. And so he, he loved that. And he said, well, I'll just have a few sips. I'm like, okay, have a few sips. So long story short, he's going to go have a few sips, go to bed. Now, remember, he's two pounds under. You sleep off at least a pound. That's three pounds. Next morning, we get up, and I see him in the hallway. He's completely covered, head to toe, sweat, sweatsuit, tapes up his wrist, tapes up his ankles, and he's running up and down the hall in the casino, up and down and up and down, and he's running in place, and he's doing burpees, and he's doing push-ups, and there's just sweat pouring out. And I said, Juan, I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm a little over, coach. I said, a little over? You, you had two, three pounds, you know? How much you over? He goes, well, when I checked, I was two pounds over, coach. I said, you gained like five pounds in your sleep. And I said, I said, well, what did you do? He says, well, remember that cucumber drink, coach? He goes, you remember that? I said, yeah. He said, you know, I said, I just was going to take a few sips. He says, all night long, it just kept calling out to me. He says, and I kept, I had a sip, and then I had another sip. He says, and I drank the whole thing. I said, you drank the whole thing? He goes, yeah. He goes, but then I grabbed the other one. And he said, and I drank that one too. <laughs> And so he's running up and down the hall, and he's sweating. And there, in my mind, I'm like, no idea of consequences. He goes, I'm going to make weight, coach. I'm going to do it. I promise I'm going to do it. I said, you better do it. You know, we're at a tournament. You know, you made this trip. You worked hard. You want to you wanna get out there and compete. I'm going to make it. And so he's running and sweating, dodging people in the halls of the casino and sweat pouring. I can see it still in my mind, see him doing plank and water dripping off his nose onto the casino carpet, you know. <laughs> He made weight. He made weight. Christmas break came. We were over Christmas break. And, and uh, I said, guys, you got to be disciplined. you got to be careful. You can't eat too much. You know, you can eat, but go for a run. Make sure you work out. But watch your weight. Long story short, we come back. Everybody's supposed to write their weights down. He comes back. And I noticed that his weight wasn't written down. And I already knew. I already knew. It's Juan. I already know. He's going to be way over, and he wouldn't write it down. I look into the wrestling room, and he's in there, and he's making eye contact with me as he's kind of running and warming up, and he's got like this really guilty look. I could just see the pounds on his face. I'm not making it up. His face was, and I said, Juan, yeah, how much you over? He goes, oh, it's okay, coach. It's not much. I'm not exaggerating. He's, he finally told me, he said, it was like 25 pounds or something. 
And he goes, but coach, it's just water weight, that's all. I said, Juan, what did you do? He goes, coach, I'm Mexican. He goes, we eat tamales, and that's what we eat. And he goes, Mexican food, you know, it's so good. I can't resist it. And my mom and my, and my family, he said, we just kept eating. He goes, I couldn't help it. I ate. And, and so, sure enough, there he is in his sweats, and he's run off. He goes, but don't worry. By the time competition, I'll have my weight down. He had no discipline, no self-control. He struggled with drugs, doing drugs. You know what else he struggled with? Grades. It was his senior year, and I'll still never forget this. I got a, it came through like on a text from his counselor, and she said he's got X, I think it was like two Fs and two Ds. He doesn't even hardly show up to class. And I was like, ugh. And I was literally sitting in the front parking lot of Ironwood Ridge High School, Oro Valley. And I got out of my car. And as I'm getting out of my car, I walk back on campus. And guess who's leaving campus? Juan. I said, Juan, you get your butt back on campus. I might have used other words I can't remember, but that was kind of it. You get your butt back in campus. He's like, what? what? I'm like, look at this. I said, you've got two weeks. You've got two weeks to get up. You're not, you don't get these grades if you're not going to be eligible. Your wrestling's over. Your season's over. Your wrestling career's over. And I said, and I don't even care about wrestling. I care about you, Juan. I want you to walk across that platform. No one in your family has even ever graduated high school. You're going to be the first person in your family to graduate high school. Do you understand me? Yes, coach. You're going to show up to every class. You're going to stay. You're not leaving campus early. You're going to keep coming to practice. We're going to keep your grades. You're going to, you need some discipline in your life. Self-control. Okay, coach. He actually listens. One of the few times a teenager's ever listened to me. <laughs> right? Right? He walked back in. Let me tell you, he finished out the season with us. He qualified for state. He wrestled at state. You know what else he did? He walked across a platform, turned a tassel, was the first person in his family to graduate high school. About a year or so later, maybe a little bit longer, he's graduated. I remember hugging him, congratulating him. We're at one of the biggest tournaments in Tucson, one of the biggest tournaments in the whole Southwest. We're at the tournament. We just got done warming up, and my team's there. We're all kind of hanging out. And guess who walks in to watch the guys wrestle? And then he says to me in front of a bunch of the guys, I'll never forget this. He said, Coach, he said, I want you to know that as of right now, I'm one year clean and sober. And I said, man, I'm surprised. He goes, I know you didn't think I was listening. He goes, and I know you, all the preaching and all the Bible verses and all the challenges and all the talks. He goes, I know you didn't think I was listening. He goes, I want you to know I listened. I was listening. Then he told the other guys on the team, you guys better listen, you know. <laughs> you should listen to him. You know what he does now? You know what he does? You know what he is? He, they, his, him and his family, they own like a health and wellness. It's called Lion Nutrition and Fitness. 
He is a fitness instructor, and they run a fitness in wellness. And can I tell you something? He's still clean, he's still sober, and he's living a good life. All honor and glory to God. Amen. But he needed, he needed some discipline. He needed some self-control. The lack of discipline and self-control is like a city that's broken down and without walls. Let me just encourage you, church, all of us, that discipline and self-control is so vital in the life of a Christian, but you do not have to do it alone. We have the Holy Spirit, amen, who equips us and enables us and gives us the ability, like Joseph, to say no. That refraining force, we have the Holy Spirit within us that gives us the ability to live a disciplined life, to live a life of self-control, not listening to the lies of this world. The world says, you, you can't resist it, just live it up, just do whatever you want. No, no, that's a lie from the enemy, amen? That we have the refraining force of the Holy Spirit within us that gives us the ability to live a life of discipline and a life of self-control. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was so filled with the Spirit that he exercised self-control when he said, I could call 72,000 angels. But you know what he did? The Bible says he lived a life filled with the Spirit. Jesus went to the cross, and he died on the cross for our sins. Amen? So that you and I can have freedom, and we can have liberty through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Self-control is so important in the life of a follower of Christ. Would you stay and pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you.